1989, I was 11 years old, and my parents transferred from the Azure Hills Church in California to a church that was newly formed that was known as Celebration Center. Some of you may have heard of it in Colton, California. It was probably the first time in my life that I had remembered my dad seeming to be excited about going to church. You know, our church going at that point in my life was probably about once a month, and otherwise it was like, why don't we go for a drive this week? You want me to show you where I used to live, or why don't we go to the beach? But, but when we joined this, this church, my dad seemed to really enjoy going, and what he seemed to enjoy most about it was that he could sing, that he was allowed to sing or he felt allowed to sing. Not up front, of course. No one would ever ask my dad to sing anything up front like Tiffany just did. Uh, but he felt like he could sing because at the time, Celebration Center, just when it first opened there in those early days, uh, there was three services, and each service was probably 1,000 to 2,000 people in attendance, every single service, and so it was always full. My dad felt like he could, he could sing out, and no one would hear him with everyone else singing so well. He loved that about this place, and he seemed genuinely enthused to go to the church. My sisters and I could still hear him, and we weren't quite as enthused by, uh, by that, but, but he enjoyed it. We were made to sing. We were made to sing. And since singing is a part of, of whom God made us to be, it would be natural that worship is best experienced when we sing in some capacity. Now, following that statement, I want to pause and say this. Because whenever we talk about singing or music within church, there's always the questions that, that come up. Uh, there's the questions that come up. Well, you know, if we're all called to sing, then why don't we have just more people up front singing? In fact, even after first service, after I made this little caveat, someone still asked me that question. Uh, Pastor, if they're not up front, how will they learn how to sing if they don't get to be up front and sing? Or, or the other one that I've heard, Pastor, I know they don't really sing that well, but but but... If they want to and if, they, if this is what they feel called to do, shouldn't they be allowed to serve God with all their hearts? I was in my first year as a pastor in uh, Georgia, fresh out of the seminary, and just before I preached, uh, uh, a woman got up and she sang a song, and, and when she was done singing that song, I was supposed to stand up and follow her, and after the song, I stood up and I went up there with my brightest smile, and I had this huge smile on my face, and I said to her, Thank you very much for your song. And then from deep inside of me, I mustered the energy and the, the sincerity to say, that was very lovely. Well, after the sermon, I preached my sermon, I walked out the door and I went out the door and my ministerial secretary of the conference was actually there at the church uh, that day. And he pulls me aside and he, asked, he said to me, he said, Chad, can I ask you a question? And I said, what? He said, were you, uh, be honest with me, Chad, did you enjoy that lady's song? Was it a trick question? He's related to the lady? What is this? I said, no. He said, Chad, would you ever want her to sing in church again? I mean, this is a serious question. He asked me this. I said, well, if she felt impressed by God, and, and he goes, no, 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 no. Would you want to hear her sing in church again? I said, well, no. And he said, well, neither would anyone else, so don't stand up there and lie. 
in the moment, I was a bit taken aback and even a little bit offended by, by such, a, such a sentiment. Some of you may be feeling similar in this moment. But as I've grown in my ministry and as I look at the scriptures and, 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 and some other things, I think he was, he was correct in his assessment. You see, First Chronicles chapter 25 is a whole chapter dedicated to who should be leading music. In fact, First Chronicles chapter 25 and verse 7 talks about the people that were the leaders of the songs within the temple. The number of them, along with their brothers who were trained in singing to the Lord, all who were skillful was 288. The Bible says they were trained in singing and, and they were all skillful. This is speaking of those who led out in singing. Then I came across a couple quotes at some point in my ministry, and, and these are from the writings of Ellen White, the Review and Herald, July 24, 1883. Organize a company of the best singers whose voices can lead the congregation, and then let all who will unite, who will unite with them. So in other words, the best singer should be up front leading, and all the rest of us that maybe don't sing quite so well should unite with them in some way. And then I read this, and if any of you were starting to think how horrible my ministerial secretary was from back then, I read this from the book of Angelism. Ellen White wrote, Music forms a part of God's worship in the courts above. We should endeavor in our songs of praise to approach as nearly as possible to the harmony of the heavenly choirs. I have often been pained to hear untrained voices literally shrieking the sacred words of some hymn of praise. I long to stop my ears and flee from the place, and I rejoice when the painful exercise has ended. So if any of you are judging the ministerial secretary, you can go ahead and judge Ellen White as well. So pretty strong words. But this sermon is not about who shouldn't be the soloist or in a trio. This sermon is about how God has called all of us, all of us to be active in singing as a part of worship. All of us have been called to sing. Not all of us have been called to lead singing, but all of us have been called to singing. The, the, uh, in Testimonies for the Church, it says, as often as possible, the congregation, let the congregation join together in singing as often as possible. Psalm 68 and verse 26 states, bless God in the great congregation. Bless God in the great congregation. Why? There are reasons why God has called us to sing together, why God desires for us to join with one another in voices in singing. This is not just a promotion for choirs, which on the back of your connection card, we hope that more of you will join the choir and and there's other opportunities to join that as well. And we're even going to start a larger choir. We're going to start a larger choir that will meet uh, a little less frequently. So if you can't commit to all the practices and maybe you want your voice to hide a little bit more in that larger choir, that would be a good place for that as well. But, but this is not simply to promote that. This is actually scripture. The Bible calls us to sing and it calls us to sing for specific reasons. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms and to the 96th Psalm. The book of Psalms and the 96th Psalm. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but whatever version you have is fine. Psalm 96, beginning in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name, Tell of his salvation from day to day. Sing to the Lord a new song. Now, I've read that text many times, and I've, and I've 
read it and I've thought, just thought in my mind, okay, well, they're excited and they're, they're singing to the Lord some, some type of new song. But the, the phraseology of that actually has meaning. To, to sing a new song, the way that the psalmist phrases this, is significant. And I, sh- and I believe it should be the basis of all the singing that we do as well. The singing that we do individually and the singing that we do in a congregation should be based on the foundation of why these people were singing a new song. In the Herminia commentary on the Psalms and, and other commentaries affirm the same idea that the language that is used here by the psalmist when they, when they spoke of singing a new song the, the reason why it was referred to as a new song is that it was a song that was sung as a part of thanksgiving to an act of salvation. So God gave them salvation from an enemy, and they would sing a song. God gave them salvation over, 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 over famine, and they would sing a new song. God gave them victory over some sin, and they would sing a new song. God would give them a new ruler that would rule justly, and they would sing a new song. They sang a new song whenever there was something in them that, that said, God has saved us. Now, if that's the case, and that should be the foundation for the singing that we do, should we not be singing with all of our hearts and with all of our mights at all times? Singing a new song. No wonder great revivals are always accompanied by music. Great revivals, the the hymns that we love and that we sing most, some of the greatest songs that we sing and we enjoy the most in church, all came out of people reconnecting with their Savior, having a new spirit with their God. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Hark, the herald angel sings. A mighty fortress is our God. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Holy, holy, holy. At the cross, Jesus paid it all. Blessed assurance to God be the glory. And on and on and on we could go. These are all songs that came out of, out of people experiencing revival in Jesus Christ. What are our hearts doing? When we sing, are we singing out of a revival with Jesus Christ? Y'all, I don't know about you, but I woke up glad today that I am a saved child of the King of Kings. I woke up glad about that. I woke up excited about that. In fact, every morning and every Sabbath morning, I wake up to a text message from Bill Naughton and classic Bill Naughton eloquence that's full of reminders of God's grace and God's love and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And and I wake up to these every Sabbath morning. And so of all days, I am most excited on Sabbath of the salvation that I have in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 that, 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 that while we were yet enemies, while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God. While we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Imagine that. When, when we were still a long way off, God came and, and said, I will make things right. I will make things right on their behalf long before they ever realize what's going to happen. We have so much to sing about. The Bible tells us his mercies are new every single morning. I will sing a new song. Will we be like the psalmist? Will we sing a new song? This is the foundation of all of our singing that that is done. All of our singing should be done out of a response to our appreciation for salvation. So whether you can carry a note or whether you can't, there should be something in you that should just spur up and sing a song of salvation. But there are other reasons why God gave us the gift of singing. 
There are other reasons why God gave us the gift of singing, biblical reasons that we might not have thought about before. Singing is not just about being a form or a function within the context of worship. God actually gave it to us for a reason, to, to be a blessing in our life and to strengthen our life in, in, in a couple significant and important ways for our relationship with him. It, turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter five. In Ephesians chapter five, we'll see that God gave us singing, not just for entertainment, not just to rejoice in salvation, but God gave us singing to help us combat sin, help us to overcome sin. Ephesians chapter five, and I'll begin in verse one. The Bible says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, verse two, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, chapter 1, be imitators of God. How do we do this? Walk in his love. And then, in, in going on later in, or in the next few verses of Ephesians, there's a whole list of, of things that oppose God. Sexual immorality, covetousness, uh, 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 greed, and all of these various aspects of things. Foolish talk and, and filthy jokes and, and all of these types of things that, that oppose God. Then continuing in verse 15 of chapter 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That's Ephesians 5, verse 15. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then the next phrase after being filled with the Spirit, the description of being filled with the Spirit. Address one another in psalms, which are songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. The chapter begins with be imitators of God and then it gives us a whole list of those things that we do that don't actually imitate God. And then it comes to the place where it says, how should we imitate God? How should we, how should we be filled with the Spirit? And the thing it says that we should do is sing. You struggle with sexual immorality. You struggle with, with covetousness. You cover, struggle with filthy talk or you struggle with being foolish or unwise. The Bible actually instructs us one of the ways to overcome this is that we sing. That we sing. We chase the devil away with, with our songs, so to speak. We sing. As the great Jake Hess of Southern Gospel fame, the founder of the Imperials from yesteryear, some of you may be familiar with him, he said this. He said there'd be a lot less fighting if there was a lot more singing. He said, when did you ever see people singing and arguing at the same time? Imagine if you're in your marriage, the next time you were starting to feel selfish towards one another, you broke out in song and started singing to one another. I bet it would change the whole dynamic. Just don't criticize each other's notes or anything like that. It would change the whole dynamic. Singing, singing helps to us to combat sin. The Bible here shows us, be imitators of God. And then the first thing it says after being filled with the Spirit is that we should address one another. We should come together in congregation and sing and sing with one another. We sing to God because of salvation. That's the platform of all we do. But God also gave us singing because singing helps us to combat sin. We also sing to God because it is a powerful way of planting God's truths in our hearts. From the View and Herald, June 6, 1912, there is this quote. Song is, is one of the most effective means of impressing spiritual truth upon the heart. 
Often by the words of sacred song, the springs of penitence and faith have been unsealed. Song is one of the strongest ways of planting, impressing upon people's minds spiritual truth. Turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, just two books over from Ephesians. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul here implores the church in Colossae and he implores us as well. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he gives ways in which the word of Christ can dwell in us richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then it says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing songs. One is how do we dwell, have, let the word of God dwell in us richly? By being taught, by learning it through words, but also through song. As Pastor Colin Smith wrote, our singing is more than a warm-up for the sermon or a filler in the service. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 is clearly laying out for us that, that singing stands alongside of preaching as one of the two great ways God has ordained for his word to dwell richly in our hearts and in our minds. C.J. Mahaney calls church singing take-home theology. I like that. He calls it take-home theology because the best songs that we sing together, the the best moments of of singing together end up serving you as little three-minute reminders throughout the week of God's truths and God's mercy and God's love. They're easily memorizable. They're they're deeply biblical summary of important truths from Scripture. One of the first Scriptures that I ever learned in my life that I ever remember, remember memorizing is Beloved, beloved, let us love one another. Anyone heard the song before? You can sing along with me if you like. For God, love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, is born of God. I won't sing the rest of it for you. It ends like this, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. I sang the whole thing in first service, and afterwards, Nick Saddlemeyer came up to me, and he says, as a formal ministerial director, stick to preaching. So, uh. <laughs> But you know where I learned that song? I learned it from Salty the Singing Songbook. Anyone remember Salty the Blues Singing Songbook? I learned this song from Salty the Singing Songbook as a little four and five year old kid listening to those records at night and that song has stuck in my mind ever since. And guess what? I went far, far, far from the Lord and I did everything against the Lord and yet I still remember that verse. From that song. Can't remember anything any preacher said in church when I was a kid. Can't remember anything really was said in Sabbath school, but I remember that song. I mean, think about it the things that we have learned, the great truths we have learned. The wise man built his house upon the what? Man, you guys know it. And what happened to that wise man's house? It stood firm, it stood fast, it stood tall. It, it, we've all learned it in different ways, obviously. But it's a great truth that still is true in our lives, that that if we plant our lives on the rock Jesus Christ, we will stand firm. That's something you learned a long time ago by singing a song, by singing a song. God uses song to implant these things in our minds. Folks, God has given us song more than just a perfunctory thing that we do here in the moment of church, more than just uh, something that we 
we, we casually do while we're listening to the radio. No, God has given us singing to help strengthen our understanding of salvation, to help us affirm the fact that we are saved in Jesus Christ. God has given us singing to help us combat sin, to, to overcome sin in our lives. That, that when we're starting to feel something, we, we sing out to God and we sing a song of rejoicing to God. God has given us song in order to, to plant the important truths of Scripture in our hearts and in our minds. Singing is a gift from God and it's to be used by all. When you sing, do you realize that God is strengthening your relationship with him when you sing songs to him? When you come into this congregation and we sing songs together and we stand up and we sit down because the bulletin says so, do we, do we recognize that, that actually what God's wanting to do is he's wanting us to do more than just follow a bulletin. He's wanting us to be strengthened against sin. That he's wanting us to, to, to understand the tr deep truths of scripture in a more profound way than when we walked into the building. God calls us to sing. As the lyrics to a Bill Gaither song go, when God created living things, he knew they'd need a way to share our fears, our questions, and our dreams. Oh, there were words, but words won't do when joy swells up inside. There simply had to be another way. Then he said, sing. I believe God is calling us in a world full of air, full of pain, and full of sin to sing more praises to his name and watch how it transforms our lives. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gift of song. I pray that each one of us will sing in a new way from this day forward, not just because we're told, not just because it's something that you just do, but let us sing a song, a new song to you as we rejoice in our salvation and the gift that you have given to us. In your name, amen.